0: If you can jump into the political arena and make it out unscathed, you've got to be doing something right. Brian Burke is your host for Kitchener Today on City News
1: 570.
2: Good afternoon. Welcome to Kitchener Today. It is a Tuesday, February the 15th, T-4 and counting. That's right, there's only four. Kitchener Today with Brian Burks left. If you had that on your 2022 bingo card, well, good for you. Congratulations. We'll wrap this baby up on Friday, then it's going to be Kitchener Today with somebody. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, so because of that, I uh, want to have some of my favorite guests on because it's my show, and that's what I can do. Peter Wollstonecroft, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Waterloo will join us. I have probably been talking to Peter about political issues for 38 years. Way, way, way back. And I always appreciate his takes on things, especially as the ground, man, the political ground in this country really seems to be shifting. And that may be a good thing. Julie Kuczynski from the Canadian Federation for Independent Business will join us just after one. With uh, restrictions lifting, Vax passports being removed, maybe Julie will be happy today. I hope so, because a happy Julie is a better Julie. Uh, what is happening at the Olympic Games? There's a 15-year-old Russian skater. You test positive, but that's okay. You can you can still compete because it's
0: the Russians cheating. I know. No. Uh, I,
2: I I couldn't believe it at first either, but and actually what you really should look into if you're interested in that story is the uh, disturbing history of teenage russian skaters like they flip through those like most of us are flipping through masks these days they just blow through them right bad backs uh, injuries win a world championship you're out you're done they are disposable in that country and that is quite simply not the way things should operate so we've We've reached out to Mac Ross from Western University to talk to us about, uh, you know, the latest thing revolving around the Olympic Games. So hopefully Mac will rejoin us. Replacing Aaron O'Toole exposes the Conservative Party's ever-growing Hey, wait
0: a minute.
2: What are you reading into things?
0: Are you going to be the next Prime Minister? No.
2: No, because you have to run for leader of the opposition first. You have to run for leader of the party. You can't just declare that you run for Prime Minister Pierre Polyev. You just can't declare that. That's just not the way our system works. Not America yet. Although that's not a bad idea. I'm going to put that on the back burner. That could be a possibility. As we go down the road, I should not start that rumor. Because somebody will morph it into something else. And it's Tech Tuesday. So Kevin Forstall, the CEO of Dozer, will join us this afternoon. If you perhaps have ever wanted to, uh, to perhaps use a front-end loader for no reason whatsoever... Kevin may be able to help you out. We'll do that at 2.30 this afternoon. All that is coming up, but first... (music) A great, great tradition... Well, how many great traditions can you have after three and a half, you know, shortly, four years? But one of the great traditions has been that we will pick a date and we will find something interesting about that date, or at least what I think is interesting about that date... And uh, then we will talk about which brings us to this.
1: Man came by to hook of my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Channels
2: One of my favorite uh, Springsteen songs, by the way, it doesn't get played often enough. It's just, it's just so dark. He's right, of course. 57 channels and nothing on, which means February fifteenth, two 2005, YouTube was registered Whee! as an entity. All, All right. right. Yep, by three, cool. young, by three young punks, uh, <laughs> 26 <laughs> years old at the time. A year after they launched YouTube, Google said, you know what? We should launch a video service. That didn't work, so they just bought YouTube because that's what Google does.
0: They buy everything.
2: You yeah. $1.65 billion they gave those young punks for YouTube. Wow.
0: I wonder what it's worth now.
2: Uh, well, I know its revenue in 2020 was $20 billion. Wow. They so
0: got cheated.
2: <laughs> well, no, I think they did okay. In <laughs> fact, one of the guys, uh, I think his name is uh, Yawed Karim, he ended up being one of the first investors in Airbnb. So he oh, just wow. continued to, and Reddit. So he invested okay, in, a, cool. in a few things down the road. i to become
0: that guy's friend. He seemed to do pretty well Yeah, and he'd
2: have some extra cake, which these days, in this particular situation, is not a bad thing. Uh, anyways, he was one of those. He was the driving force behind YouTube and the poster of the first video on YouTube, which didn't happen until April 23rd, 2005. You know what it was?
0: I know what it was, but do I don't you? want
2: to ruin the bit. Does Brit- okay, does Brittany know what it was?
0: Uh, I don't think
2: so. Okay, Polly, what was it?
0: It was a video uh, called My Trip to the Zoo, or me My at, Visit to the Zoo. It was a San Diego Zoo. Yeah,
2: Me at the Zoo, it yeah, was called. Yeah, Me at the
0: Zoo, that's what it was.
2: That has been seen some 250 million times. Oh, wow. Which, Yes, I know. Oh, wow, but not even close to the to the highest number that has been, which belongs to uh, Baby Shark.
3: Oh, my uh, goodness.
2: Baby Shark has been seen 10.2 <sighs> billion times. Billion with a B. I Ugh. remember when Gangnam Style. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? That became the top, the top YouTube video. Uh, number mm-hmm. two on the list is Despacito. Despacito. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I do not speak Spanish, but I'll try to. You know, Evan. anyways. That's, that's number two <laughs> we, on the list.
0: <laughs> my wife and I went down, took a, a cruise, and it took off from Puerto Rico. So, we're, our cab driver from the airport to the, the dock where the ships were, that song was in loop in his car because it was the hottest song at the moment. Oh <laughs> we must have listened to it five gosh. times.
2: Now, well, we were <laughs> the, here. Here's two musical stories from previous trips to the Caribbean. Uh, one of them being at a Sandals in Ocho Rios, Jamaica, where apparently they only owned one Bob Marley CD. And they, <laughs> and they, played, they played the deaf. Out of that, by the end of it, we all knew the lyrics to Buffalo Soldier. (laughs) Right? We did. It was the the same CD. And then the last time that we were in the Caribbean, which was in Cuba, Desposito was a a hit then. Mm -hmm. It was every third song in their playlist. Yeah. Which I believe might have been 15 songs.
3: (laughs) Oh, Oh, my goodness. Well,
2: you see, you go to a place like Cuba, they don't really necessarily have the free market music, so you live with the pain. But the stupid song just got in your head.
3: Yeah, it's going to be in my head the rest of the day.
2: That's lovely. That's all the words I know. It's like any country song, you can sing it that way too. Uh, Britt, what's going on with you?
3: Well, uh, I'm going to sing you my rendition of Despacito now. Oh, I'm no, yes. kidding. <laughs> More singing. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. kidding. So I'm a day late on this one, but I didn't get to do a Brits bit yesterday because apparently I'm not good enough to join the show on Mondays. (laughs) Um, So for Valentine's Day, if you were looking for something a little special to do for your significant other, uh, the Bronx Zoo was going to allow you to do that. For $15, you could name a Madagascar hissing cockroach, after your significant other. And I don't know about you guys, but nothing screams love to me like naming a cockroach after your significant other.
2: Not just a cockroach, a Madagascar hissing cockroach. Yes. Uh-huh. Which I believe yes. might be the biggest of the cockroaches.
0: All right. If I, I remember I, my I cockroach size
2: chart properly. <laughs> I think the Madagascar hissing cockroach is is the biggest. Also, the most ferocious killer of the cockroaches. Also... A oh, I actually just made that part up, <laughs> but I thought it would sound good. I don't know. How would you feel about having an insect named after you, Brittany?
3: Um, I think of all the things that you could name after me, like maybe, you know, a star uh, or nice. something or adopt an elephant, you know, somewhere in the world. This is a little insulting. Are but they- like, but I also I don't know because like you can't really you can't kill cockroaches, so is it like we I can't we can't kill our love, so I'm gonna oh, see her. that's like I
2: don't know Our love is like a cockroach, <laughs> it will never die. Yeah. I don't think that's on a Valentine's card, but it probably should be. Yeah, I like <laughs> yeah. it. I think that's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? You can't. You, you, our love is like a cockroach, and there's like the mushroom cloud. It will never yeah. die. Holy cow, yeah. Hallmark! I'm making you a fortune here. Just yeah. jump on board right now.
3: So I guess um, the money, the fifteen dollars that you donate, goes to uh, benefit the Wildlife Con- Conservation Society, um, and also they had some. They had uh, one loyal person named Susie who apparently does this. This is It's become a Valentine's Day tradition for her. Um, and they describe her as a uh, satisfied roach namer and lover of romance. Um, they have a direct quote from her here that says, Roses and chocolates come and go, but roaches last an eternity, just like our love. So see? There you go. I guess maybe it's not that bad of an idea after all.
0: What measures are being put in place to make sure you don't name the same cockroach to two different people? Because that, to me, would be a scam. Absolutely. Like, do you write? Do you write your name on the on his belly with a magic marker or something? Well, you know what, Polly? Why don't you catch one
3: and then let us know?
1: Okay.
2: How it goes. <laughs> I, like I have to argue here. Look, I'm sure two cockroaches there's some kind of difference, but. To me, they all look essentially the same. (laughs) I cannot tell one cockroach from the other. But they go, oh, no, no, that's Susan over there. Okay, and that's Bert. (laughs) Flip them over and you'll be able to tell the difference like all the rest of the animal kingdom. All right, let's do this. Well, that's a, that's a really sad goodbye song, isn't it? That's
0: mm-hmm. I, I really like that song. I love the saxophone. The yes. saxophone is very underrated as a musical instrument.
2: Yeah, yeah. you know what? It is. It, it doesn't show up nearly enough mm-hmm. in, outside of uh, of what's-his-name from the E Street Band. There's not a whole a lot of saxophoning going well, on Kenny anymore.
0: Kenny G has made a whole career out
2: of it. Yeah, but Kenny G can't even afford a last name. Come on. <laughs> that's right. So so I, I I blindsided these guys last week with the announcement that you know what I'm I'm out of here and uh, and they and they've been very good about it. So we're going to do we're going to play a little sad song every day, you know, and then we're going to play another song at the end of the show. That's that's going to be a goodbye song, but I'm not goodbying yet, right? That's I get to I get to milk this baby until Friday, which I fully intend to do. Like I I I wanted my farewell tour and now, damn it, I'm getting my farewell tour, and I'm putting it together myself, which is even better. So we're going to pull a few things. I know Pauly and I talked a little earlier this morning. We are going to pull, if we can find it, because I'm pretty sure it's out there, and if it is, Paulie can find it, uh, the bit when we talked about TV dinners.
0: Yeah, I already have oh. it. I, I, I saved some of these great bits just on my own if I... For prosperity, that was one of them. I already have it for you
2: because because somebody because I had I had posted a couple of things on social media last night, telling the whole story and saying this is it. And uh, somebody had replied to me saying, "You're still the only person, and only show that we listened to where I had to pull off on the side of the road because he was crying, he was <laughs> crying and laughing at the same time, and it, was, and it was all about the the TV dinner bit, which which was remarkably fun. We've had. See, if you, if you go back to the very beginning of this program, which was March uh, September the somethingth, um, 2018, this show used to open with an interview. We'd have an interview with somebody uh-huh. and talk about something serious, and we'd launch right into it. And then a short time into it, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, that I just wanted to have some fun. So we started to have some fun. And then when Britney came along, that added even more fun. And then when Britney went into exile... We had to search for Brittany every day. I was only going to do that once, but that ended up being like six months of sending Brittany somewhere. And then all in the middle of that, of course, Brittany gets married so we can have some fun with that. Could you get married again? Because that was fun.
3: <laughs> it was a fun day, but it there, was also very expensive. So well, no, well okay. I know. Are you going to pay for it?
2: No, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm well, just,
3: then I'm not doing it. I
2: would just like to use <laughs> I would like to use it as content. <laughs> and be, because that's the kind of thing. Well, and I'm not, I'm even going to miss your anniversary, which would have been fun, right?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And the first, yeah. an,
2: and the first anniversary gets what for you? What What's the style of gift
0: in the oh. traditional?
3: Oh, uh, I don't know. Like, <sighs> I, I know there's like a list what you get, like paper, yeah, I think wood. paper's the
0: first year, isn't it? Yeah, paper's yeah. the first one.
2: So that, that could be a number of things. That could be a lottery ticket, right? Yeah. Probably going to be a card. Is, uh, probably is your husband probably. Larry is he a, is he a big uh, a big <laughs> card giver
3: no he didn't even give me a card yesterday for Valentine's really? Day. really I, I mean even... he gave me a gift but there was no card so oh I'm I'm more like thought out like like I have a stack of, of cards like I see a funny card and I'm like okay yep I've got that like I had Christmas cards for you guys for next year well Brian somebody else will get yours okay that's um, fine. And
2: <laughs> wow. I had
3: these ones that were, that were perfect, that are perfect for people. I just, yeah, I don't know.
2: You're one of those people.
3: Yes. I'm not, I'm not surprised.
2: John, go ahead.
3: How you doing?
2: Good. How are you?
5: You know, I got a text message uh, yesterday from uh, a friend saying, Perk's out of there. <laughs> and I, I flipped the radio on just to hear something about, uh, apparently, uh, how did that go? Uh, you thought you were worth more, and Rogers sir, thought
2: you were worthless? We, no, 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 that's not fair. We had a disagreement about my value going forward, is the best way I can put that, John. Not worthless, then? No, well, maybe, but that certainly it was not communicated to me. We had I
5: always
2: a, thought you liked those little puns. I do, I do like those little puns, but I also want to make it to Friday, so... <laughs> Just a just a standard business disagreement about value.
5: Yeah, you know it's uh, the the world is going to lose it balance now. You know, the left is taking over there. <laughs> How are we going to balance out everything?
2: Uh, well, you know, I, I I'm I'm comfortable in the middle. Although at times the fence post does start to hurt. In certain areas, but <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little left sometimes, John. I'm a little right sometimes. Sometimes I'm in the middle. I do try to stay away from the extremes. Not all left is bad. Not all right is good, right?
5: Yeah, exactly. The, uh, so uh, from the sounds of it, you're claiming to be a, uh, a post turtle?
2: Uh, not, not entirely. Every now and then I, I slip off the post and head towards the other side.
5: <laughs> Listen, all the best in uh, whatever you do next.
2: John, appreciate it. Always appreciate your calls. And yeah, that's, uh, that, that is the easiest way I can put it. We had a disagreement over my value, so that's kind of the way that that story gets written. I think that's just vague enough, but still tells you all you need to know. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. I head off to the telephone. Bill, go ahead.
5: Hey, Brian. Good morning. Good day. Am I. Okay, so there was a value problem. So am I hearing that you're not getting paid enough to put up with all the shenanigans and uh, callers?
2: Is, we, is that what it is? No, no. You, <laughs> I, I, I'd like you guys to think you're that important, but you're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's it, Bill, like every every part of business, it's uh, it's a skills rental decision. And uh, and and I guess the price for rental was too high.
6: Well, and I seen you
5: with your sports blazer on and your photos and all that. I don't know. I you probably need to go higher or something. You know, you look <laughs> like you uh, like a get a pipe and be a professor or something. I need That's a pipe. That's right.
2: I need to have a pipe. What A good idea.
5: <laughs>
7: uh, have a good-
2: Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the call. Uh pipe's I I I shall get that old plaid jacket out. My wife will kill me for that. Terry, go ahead.
4: Hey, Brian, yeah, I was saddened to hear that yesterday, man, I'm telling you, you, got that, uh, you know, you're, you're, I feel like you're like a brother to me, you know, <laughs> listen, now, listen, uh, I want to know, are your Soros checks, are they being transferred with you for your new gig, or are they going to stay there with the with new host? It's All my work.
5: money, and I need it no, now! No,
2: because I will be in a position of such power, the Soros checks will continue.
4: So it's going to be transferred with you
2: then. Oh yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I, I, I just I was curious to know that. Uh, yeah, just, uh, at least you'll still be in good hands, you know. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's going to work out. You know, between that and and the the checks from the Liberal Party, I should be fine.
4: Uh, yeah, I was worried about your your well being there, Brian, but uh, but it's good to hear that Soros is still has uh, you know has your back. So
2: and right. we call him old dependable George. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Terry. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate the call. Uh, we got lots of time for this as, as the week goes by. Like I say, that's as, that's as far as I go. Value proposition. There was a difference of opinion on that. So, and both sides in those situations are free to make those decisions knowing what the consequences may or may not be. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Everybody's talking at
5: me. I don't hear a word they're saying.
8: Only
2: the echoes of my mind Some days, there's not enough room on the radio for all the news. And it's kind of running into that today with the uh, with the announcement that the uh, Chief of police will resign out of Ottawa. I don't well maybe some of us thought that might happen. I just didn't think it would happen this quickly. And kind of being left in the wake here, at least in Canada, is the news that Prince Andrew has reached a settlement with the woman accusing him. So guess what money can buy? Money can buy a lot of things. And it is buying at least that, whether or not that is a, I don't know, beginning of a, of a rebuild of Prince Andrew, or I think is he just Andrew? I'm not sure anymore. He took away some things from him anyways. That's also in the news today. So if you want to catch up, you got to keep reading. Uh, Peter Wollstonecraft is Professor Emeritus of Political Science, has uh, been with us for a long time. I was just saying earlier, Peter, that I've probably been talking to you about politics for 39 years <laughs>
9: But uh, there you go. Uh, thank you very much, and you've been uh, very generous with the invitations, and, uh, and so uh, I've been delighted to be here and to share my thoughts. and uh, And I will say, I lament the change.
2: Ah, that's that's very nice of you, Peter. I do appreciate that. Um, let's take a look at what has happened in the last 24 hours in in Ottawa, uh, Peter. Along with uh, along with me, we are both old enough to remember. Just watch me and uh, <laughs> and, and and Pierre Trudeau and while it wasn't nearly as dramatic, I guess kind of shadows of that 50 years later, huh?
9: Yes, and I'm, I'm old enough to remember that, and I I, I was in a distinct minority uh, It was opposed to the invocation of the War Measures Act, and uh, almost got into a fight in a party that night in Toronto with a liberal lawyer, and uh, I've talked about it a, a number of times, because the the reaction of people, this is 1970, was almost in varnished enthusiasm for what uh, Pierre Trudeau was doing without really realizing the enormity of the imposition of the War Measures Act. And, and the very fact that I stood up in a classroom and said, I think this is a wrong, made me subject to arrest. And uh, that's a pretty powerful extension of the state power. And uh, this is not as 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 extreme as that, but it's in that certain direction.
2: So, so is is this? I, I, I've been wondering lately, Peter, as we've watched what's happened in Ottawa, and of course, by extension, Coots and the Ambassador Bridge. Is, is this Justin Trudeau's tipping point?
9: Well, it certainly could be the big mark uh, in his time. And uh, in an earlier interview, I said, you know, the Conservative Party is is one of the most divided parties in the advance. Uh, liberal democracies and the liberals are the master of uh, the discipline of power and keeping their fights hidden there are always people circling around and there there will be people who see that trudeau is is weakened uh, because of various things he's done or not done Uh, so yeah and, and there are always people who are thinking this is true in every party there's always people who are thinking i'm better than the person who's Got the reins of power, so yes, uh, there will be people asking that question this week that might not have been asking such a question uh, a month ago.
2: I guess much of it depends on how this how this turns out. If this peacefully moves everything along, then the damage is minimal.
9: Yeah, if it if it's all done peacefully, then then it will rebound to his advantage. If it gets really ugly, uh, then people will start to ask questions and point fingers. And for better or for worse, uh, in our contemporary world, and this is true in the United States and Canada and elsewhere, that everything revolves around either the President of the United States or the Prime Minister. So everything falls on his or her lap. So, you know, you look at American politics, there are people blaming Joe Biden for everything, for the price of bananas, this and that. And he has very few Ways or tools to lower the price of bananas, uh, and same thing in our system. Everybody is is pointing to the prime minister and saying, "Why haven't you done something? Why haven't you done something?" And political leaders, of course, play to that and say, "I will do this. I will do that." Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the things are actually in the hands of the Ottawa police, and we now have the resignation of the police chief. And I have to say I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm disappointed because I always admired him uh, for for the way he conducted his affairs. As police chief, however, I think there was a clear intelligence failure and a judgment failure to allow anybody, including and particularly this group of truckers and their assorted friends, to take over a public street and and occupy it, encamp there, and and showing no signs of uh, moving. And that cannot last. And if you think of the tremendous inconvenience and economic loss that has occurred in the Ottawa area. I mean, I think of the Rideau Mall. I've been in there. It's a large place. Uh, 1,500 people work there, so I understand. 135 businesses. They've been shuttered for now uh, over three three weeks. That's a big hit for them. And and the neighborhoods have been affected. And, and then there's been threats of violence and nasty things, Nazi symbols and swastikas and flags. and So this got, should never have happened because the truckers should never have been able to get onto Wellington Street. And the, the police allowed that to happen. And somebody didn't ask the question, how do we get them out?
2: Um, but Justin Trudeau has been in power now for seven years, which is usually enough time for the shine. To come off any yeah. political leader, and really, at the end of the day, Peter, the decision on his future rests around one simple question: Can the Liberal
9: Party win with him? Right? Yeah, and and parties want to win, and uh, I, I, I suppose another question: Does he want to continue? So uh, as as Prime Minister, so he's reaching uh, around fifty uh, that time of life. But uh, to my memory, people start to ask well, this is what I want to do. Is there something else I'd rather do in the time I have left in terms of an occupation? Uh, So does he want to fight another election? Uh, So there's that question. Uh, But uh, undoubtedly, uh, the longer you're in office, the more that there are complaints and grievances that focus on you because you did this or you didn't do that. And uh, so the honeymoon is long over. He had a very long honeymoon. Uh, but it has to be said that uh, you know he hasn't won majority governments, so he's had to live with minorities uh, in recent times. However, uh, the Liberals want to win, and uh, there's, there's a very good reason why uh, we call them the natural governing party, because they think of themselves as the natural governing party, and they don't like to lose, and they don't understand uh, why they might lose.
2: Uh, let's go to the other side of the aisle for a minute. Let's, because uh, uh, I don't think I've had a chance to talk to you about uh, about what's going on in the Conservative Party and Aaron O'Toole and Candace Bergen and Pierre Polyev and whoever the hell else is running. For this. Well, Jean Charest. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, you know all these blasts from the past. Uh, is there any way forward for that party? Like we've seen in the past with a with a Brian Mulroney and a and a Stephen Harper who have been able to paste over the cracks for at least enough time to win a majority. Or is, is this maybe kind of the final schism where everybody goes off in their own direction?
9: Well, it could be, though the Conservative Party has had very, very poor times. I mean, there was one time when they literally downed their last filing cabinet and their last $100 donation. Um, so they've had very, very bad times. But, uh, you know, within the Conservative Party, there are, there are strong elements. There's a libertarian streak uh, that's there that is, is against government. But then there's also the social conservative side that wants to use government to regulate social behavior. So they and the libertarians are not the best of friends. And then you get the business oriented free market types. Uh, they're in the party as well. And then there's another group, uh, if you want, just traditional. Uh, PC types, red Tory types, who say, well, what we offer is balanced, moderate, judicious leadership. Uh, uh, We take things seriously and slowly. We don't come at it from an ideological perspective. So the Conservative Party has all of those elements in it. And every time there's a leadership race, they're they're manifest. It will happen this time. Uh, There will be a social conservative person coming uh, forward uh, who will have a, such an agenda there always is how strong that person is uh, we will see i think uh, i think jean chariot is close to running uh, last time he demurred because of various logistical questions i don't think peter mckay will be there uh, but jean chariot could well be there and it, it would not be a coronation for him but he brings uh, a lot of support from quebec and the francophone writings and uh, a reputation with older people and I'm in that category uh, there are very few people on the age of 40 would have any idea who Jean Surrey is uh but he has a long record and and, he, and and he's in the political terms he's a relatively young guy he's only 63
2: and, and but again he would he would face the same problem he is more of a moderate conservative and I just I I just look at that party and wonder Again, can you paper over those cracks with yeah. somebody like well, this because you offer the opportunity to win?
9: Yeah, and and, and, and that is precisely the question. And uh, the Conservative Party understands that to their right, there's the People's Party of Canada, which takes, what, last election, 5% of the vote, costs them a number of seats. So they say, well, if if we tilt to the right, so I'm thinking in terms of electoral strategies, then we could pick up a large, large proportion of that vote and instead of being at 33 or 34%, we'd be 36%, 37%, and that puts us at least into a minority situation, and then if we do some other things right, we'd be maybe closer to 39%, 40%, get a majority. Um, however, uh, the, the libertarian side, which is at the heart of the People's Party of Canada, is very much outside of our tradition and uh, in, in Canadian politics. It's not to say it has to not not have a future however uh uh it's hard to see them winning with that Uh, and so the conservatives uh, have a big problem is is that the base of the party wants to reproduce itself and it has many bases but it doesn't have strength where uh, where most people live and i always use Warler region uh as my example and 1984 and 88 uh, all the constituencies in this area were conservative and now they're all liberal. And if the conservatives want to have a minority or majority government, they have to win two or three of the seats that we have. Peter, thank you for your time as always. Uh, thank you very much for your invitations and I wish you all the best.
2: All right, thank you. Peter Wollstonecroft is a professor emeritus political science, university of Waterloo, a uh, long time discussion. Uh, when I, when I did run, in a federal election for, well, the Progressive Conservative Party that he mentioned that was almost wiped off the map. Uh, thanks, Peter. Appreciate you helping me out on that one. Peter did help me out, as did his uh, his late wife, Lynn, uh, who was a former mayor of Waterloo. Uh, so have been uh, in contact with, with Peter for a long, long, long time. And uh, I always appreciate the takes he takes on things that are of the political nature. So if we think back to what our political landscape was a couple of weeks ago, it was a conservative party that was certainly in some fluxes. Aaron O'Toole was being shown the door. And now we are in this situation with the uh, invocation of the Emergencies Act. It is nothing close to what the War Measures Act, it was uh, the War Measures Act after the the uh, moments of the uh, October crisis of 1970, eventually the move was made to rebuild that into what is currently the Emergencies Act. The two don't have a whole lot in common in some ways. Uh, the the War Measures Act was a much more harsh piece of legislation. But we, d- we do have the same prime ministers doing it. So at the end of the day on all of this, however all of this ends, the decision for any party, comes down to a very, it's a very cynical thing. Because they will tell you that, you know, we want to do the best. We want to, you know, help this person, help that person. At the end of the day, they want to win. They just want to win. And they are prepared, and we've seen it, they are prepared to paper over some differences if they believe that gets them that much closer to winning. Kyle, go ahead.
10: Okay, question for you. So I know who Pierre Polyev, because I've been watching him for the last three elections. Who is John Charest?
2: Jean Charest uh, yeah. has been around for a long time. I've got to pull this out of my head. I believe he was Premier of Quebec for a while. He's been a long-time okay. Conservative. Are uh, from Quebec? Uh, yes, he is. He is from okay. Quebec. Been involved for years and years and years and years and years. And to be honest, uh, Kyle, I yeah. didn't think that we'd, we'd be hearing from Jean Charest in this particular case because uh, he, it, it just seemed like his time had gone by. As right. a matter so, of like, fact,
10: like, like that guy said, like he's, he's known for people, you know, the older generation stuff. But I have, I have never heard of this guy. I don't know who he is. So it be interesting to see what he's got, ready. Right? Well, so he I was, I'd ask.
2: he was the youngest cabinet minister in Canadian history. Now that I remember that he was 28 years old when he got into the cabinet under, under Brian Mulroney. He was premier of Quebec as well. So he's certainly got some experience. Be interesting to see. All
10: right. Thanks, Brian. All right.
2: No worries, Kyle. Yeah, you know, Peter makes a really good point. Those of us who've been around a long time, we can remember Jean Chretre, but he's been out of the public spotlight for a long time. Billy, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Jean
11: Chretre is sort of like a conservative Paul Martin. Certainly would suit me. Well, that's an interesting Hello? way to put yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, and uh, and the other the other thing is uh, it's interesting uh, with um, uh, the last two times with uh, Trudeau not being able to win the majority. Uh, and having to rely on the support of the NDP, that almost brings them up to fifty percent. If you if you take, you know, of course you don't want to take, you can't you do a proportional thing, so you don't want to want to say that it's fifty uh, percent of the vote, but it is almost that. Uh, if you add with the vote that the NDP got and the vote that Trudeau got, and he's relying on the NDP, so he's actually. Uh, having more of the population supporting his policies than he did when he won the majority, which I think he only got 38 percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and you know, of course, then what what, uh, what Mr. Wollstonecroft said was was right. He's he's, he's getting to his uh, you know past his best buy date, uh, and he may be uh, considering. I mean, his his father uh, wanted to give it up after ten years, and then decided to go back for another four. You know. Uh, yeah, but well, uh, yeah. really,
2: why didn't why did Pierre come
5: back?
11: Cuz he thought uh, he could win. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's a that's a big lure, but you know, every time I hear Mr. Leblanc or um, or Christopher Freeland talk, I get the feeling that you know, these are these are two people who probably have more ability to uh, operate as prime minister than Mr. Trudeau and it's uh, unfortunate that um you know, the the celebrity and the uh, the heritage of his of his background uh, pushed them forward and above people who might have been more capable around the government. Yeah, perhaps so. Thanks, Billy. Uh just, and Kyle
2: just as a point. So you'll be even more confused. Yeah, Jean Charest being considered as a as a candidate for the Conservative leadership. In April 2003, he won the uh he won the election in Quebec to become premier. He led the Quebec Liberals, the Liberals to a majority. Cuz that's the way it works in Quebec from time to time. Jason, go ahead.
7: Good afternoon, and I. Uh, I'm sorry that you're going to be leaving there. Because who am I going to yell at? No, I love to yell at you, Brian. I'll but, I'll, uh,
2: I'll find somebody to send to your house, Jason. You'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
7: but yeah, no, it'll be sad to see you go. But uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, I think his party's already done with him. But they really want him to finish this cleaning this mess up because they don't want the they don't want this mess on their hands in the next election. So let him deal with it. And then however it goes, they can say how wrong he did it, and they can try to win with a new person. But uh, I think the big problem with the Conservatives, too, though, is they've been trying to win the Liberal vote, but the Liberals already have a party, so they're not winning Liberal voters over. Most Liberal voters aren't coming to the Conservatives no matter what, so stop trying to be the Liberal party and actually give an alternative would be a good idea, I think. Yeah,
2: but I guess the question, Jason, is: are, is there enough people out there on that side to elect them?
7: Well, you have to sell it. You have to sell it. You can't just, uh, oh, well, we'll apologize about our beliefs and we'll become liberals and just vote for us. Because then nobody trusts you anyways.
2: And and Jason, while I got you here, because you're on that side of the spectrum, so should the Conservatives stay away from the social issues and just focus on policy and economics?
7: I... As a social conservative, I think they probably should still because we're not going to win on that. So it's, we just got to be about governing properly and doing uh, better policies. And That sounds like what
2: every party should do, Jason. What the hell's going on here?
7: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thanks for the call. I got to let you go. We have to take a break. We'll get back to more of you after that. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Uh, coming up a little later on, uh, Julie Kuczynski from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Well, I hope you're happy now, Julie. We'll find out. And uh, Mac Ross will join us to talk Olympics a little bit later on this afternoon as scandals continue to raise their ugly head.
8: Shocker. Frank, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Brand. uh... Couple things. Uh, I go back way further than you do with Peter. Uh, he was a child prodigy uh, and, and a brilliant guy. Uh, in '72, I was in the political science department at University of Waterloo, and he was the only voice of reason uh, within a, an otherwise NDP faculty. But uh, anyway, I've, I've had immense respect for him and Lynn, and I want to thank you for having him on the show. Uh, so many times, uh, he's uh, he's 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 worth having on. Secondly, though, I I I want to tell you, I'm going to miss you, and certainly the first half hour. <laughs> and I always wanted to um, suggest to you uh, as an alternative uh, career, and you can win a million dollars and have a show in Las Vegas on America's Got Talent. Now, what you have to do is you got to get Polly and Britt and and reprise uh, some of your half hours, but save the finals for your uh, uh, TV dinner uh, (laughs) routine. Set up your whole set there and then do it. I'll bet you America votes for you. I'll miss you, (laughs) Brian, and... uh, Thanks for all the uh, the good things you brought to this community. Thanks, Frank. I, pr- I appreciate the call.
2: People never believe me when I tell them this. There is virtually There is virtually nothing planned about the first half hour of this show. Nothing. Got a couple of topics, and then we just roll with it.
1: Andy, go ahead. Oh, so you're leaving the station, is that right? I
2: am, yes. Getting off on my big white stallion and riding away. Wow. I have no stallion.
1: Wow. Um... Okay, but that's not what I was going to talk about. That's fine. (laughs) Well, because I think the state of uh, Canada is more important. Yes. Um, And the thing I have is um, in Canada, we need to get like 51.1% people voting to get the prime minister in. And we have to have representation for those people Who put those constituents in there, right? So you're Um, saying we
2: need to change the voting system?
1: Yeah, basically, yeah. Maybe even changing the government. And I'm not talking about like being rebellious or anything like that, right? Just let's just have some common sense here, right? And I'm sorry you're leaving. I'm going to miss
2: you. All right. I appreciate that, Andy. Uh, common sense is, uh, I, nobody ever really defines that, but I will say this common sense is different from the perspective from which you view it. Let's always keep that in mind. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm- By the way, if you're wondering, I'm taking my music with me. It's that simple. i found it. I'm taking it. Uh, as you heard, it, it was as in Richard Southern's report there at our 1 o'clock news update. Uh, it was a very different tone from the Premier about uh, masks and all the other things. Gosh, if I didn't know better, I'd say there was an election on the way. But that would be silly and cynical of me. Uh, Julie Kuczynski is Ontario Vice President for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and has joined us numerous times over the past couple of years. Well, Julie, are you happy now?
12: Well, I'm sad because you're leaving.
2: Yeah. yeah, I have
12: to say that first and foremost, Brian, we have had so many wonderful, I like to think very intelligent conversations about small business. So I have to say you're an absolute fantastic host, and I'm truly going to miss you.
2: Well, maybe I'll just come to your porch and we'll just talk about things.
12: (laughs) Sure. Why not? I wish I had a porch though. I live in an apartment building in the concrete jungle in Toronto. So you have balconies though.
2: I am I am actually going to be in Toronto from time to time doing some things, so maybe we'll get an opportunity to sit around and yak together.
12: Absolutely. Wow.
2: I'm not sure we want to go the coffee route, but Julie, thanks. (laughs) Oh,
12: maybe something a little stronger (laughs) might be in order.
2: (laughs) It 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 has to be a good feeling inside the federation as members, though, because this is really this is really the reopening, right?
12: Oh yes, I mean, truly, it's the first time in about two years that we're finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel for small businesses dealing with COVID. I mean, th- although we, you know, we don't want to go back there ever again to restrictions and business closures. So we have been urging the Ontario government to come up with a stay open plan. We all know like COVID just isn't going to totally disappear. So how do we manage it? How do we make sure there's adequate healthcare capacity in the future to avoid more of these restrictions and business closures? So, I mean, we have to be prepared for anything and everything, and every business owner always likes to be prepared.
2: Uh, Interesting, because I know you guys do surveys all the time, and and, and not surprisingly, you know, most business owners say they want to see capacity restrictions lifted. Those are the things that really impact businesses more than anything else. But I was interested to see kind of a 50-50 split in some ways on on things like masking and, and
8: mandates.
12: Yes, yes, and that's why we always like to go directly to our members, For the the heartbeat of the small business nation to see how they're feeling. So you're absolutely right. When we asked business owners across the country how they feel about masking requirements, whether the government should get rid of them right away or keep them, it was pretty split. It was a fair split, so nationally 56% agree they should be eliminated, 42% disagree, but provincially, the Ontario data, a little bit closer, 53% said get rid of them and 45% disagree. They say they should keep them. So uh, that's a very good point that you brought that up, so that's clearly an area of division.
2: Well, and it's it's something that uh, I I just think it's something that we have to keep in mind because, Julie, we've been going through this for two years, and I think that's really going to come down for a lot of people. Business owners, maybe maybe they're comfortable with people wearing masks. Maybe they're not comfortable with people wearing masks, but it's really going to come down to that individual decision on this one once mandates are lifted.
13: Oh,
12: absolutely. And I think, too, Brian, an important point that needs to be made is, Masking isn't necessarily affecting your sales like a capacity restriction would affect someone's sales. So the focus has always been from our membership on making sure that they can serve more customers. That's ideally where they want to be because they've got to get their revenues back up. You know how we always talk about our dashboard numbers? So right now in Ontario, only 33% of small businesses are at normal revenues for this time of year. Very low number. And what that really tells us, Brian, more than anything, is the fact that just pulling the switch to reopen is not enough. We need the government, the Ontario government especially, to make efforts to help us boost consumer confidence. So that would involve getting the government to pivot their messaging to encouraging the safe return to activities like dining in a restaurant, going to the gym, going to the movies, attending an event. Because without that, we're not going to see the return of customers. We're sensing that. We're getting a lot of businesses reaching out that were allowed X percentage of capacity in their business and still people weren't coming. That is a critical part to recovery. And a lot of businesses, especially in hospitality and tourism, the hardest hit sectors, are telling us it could take around two years for them to recover. So we're just hoping that as much as this is all great news and we totally agree that it's not lost on governments that Ontario businesses are still facing an average COVID debt of nearly $170,000. And 19% of them are still considering actively shutting down and, and uh, going bankrupt.
2: And like you say, businesses are not quite back to full revenue yet. We are going to, within the next month or so, have a provincial budget. Is there is there something... Business, small business especially hopes to see in there that, that gives a little boost?
12: Well, what we're hoping for, we did put in a pre-budget submission. I don't have it in front of me, but I think government should really look at some form of debt forgiveness on uh, any provincially administered taxes. They have had some tax deferrals in place, but I think they should consider some some debt forgiveness in there. That would be very helpful, and also continuing grant programs. We have a new grant program that started in Ontario, and we're very thankful for that. But again, like everything we do in lobbying, we always have to revisit and ask the government to adjust programs. This particular relief grant, Brian, is only for businesses that the government forced to close. So for example, if you were a hairdresser, you were allowed 50% capacity, you don't qualify for this grant. You qualify for an energy rebate and potentially a property tax rebate, but the real help is in a $10,000 grant, for sure.
2: Uh, Julie, I want to thank you for your time today and every other day that you've been on the air with us.
12: Uh, I just, I almost really want to cry, but (laughs) I don't want to show any weakness.
2: (laughs) It's oh, not dear. weakness. I've, I've but, already done my share. So.
12: But, Brian, I have to tell you, you are one of my absolute favorite radio hosts. And I'm not just saying that I will miss you. I truly will miss you. So, uh, And I'm sure my tears will come after uh, we get off this call.
2: Well, and you know what? We we always used to joke around here that if I need a half hour off, we'll just call Julie. She can handle it for us. <laughs> you
12: know what? best compliment anyone has given me in the last many, many weeks. So I do appreciate your confidence in me and your compliments. And uh, really, Brian, I wish you all the best. And I thank you on behalf of our 38,000 small business members in Ontario, because you really got our issues. All the interviews we've had, you've been like bang on on the important issues that needed to be raised. So Uh, we thank you all of our businesses thank you for that and especially the ones in your listening area Julie take care you too Brian bye
2: Julie Kuczynski is the Ontario Vice President for the Canadian Federation for Independent Business I am sure as we get closer to provincial budget time that uh, we will hear from either Julie or Ryan Mallow or Dan Kelly all the people that we have on from CFIB and have from the very beginning of the pandemic and we did that Well, we actually had a purpose in mind, and that was to keep hearing the voice of those smaller businesses that I think early on in the pandemic certainly got lost with all the fusses about the big box stores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when when the two years is over, we certainly know this by now that Walmart and Costco and the big ones they're going to be just fine. But for an awful lot of other places, it has it has been a tremendous challenge. Uh, My daughter's business has gone through some tremendous struggles over the past couple of years, pivoting, moving, changing. Oh, we're open, we're not open, we're online, we're not online. A lot of stuff has gone on. Meanwhile, dealing with some of the questions that that parents had, because she spends a lot of time dealing with parents, about their kids and their schooling. And at the same time, she also uh, serves a role with the uh, Greater KW Chamber of Commerce and listening to all of the concerns that those businesses had, there was really a reason to keep those discussions going. And what we will see in a provincial budget, that's the big concern in a lot of places is, well, once you turn the corner and everything's open again, that's awesome, but it's been two years. And for some of those facilities, some of those restaurants, hospitality centers, they spent the majority of those two years at a far, far, far reduced income. And no matter how fast this turns around, you ain't getting that back. Star 570, 570 This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. It's a, it never fails when we... Uh, when we tell you that there's going to be a topic on the show uh, about the Olympic Games and someone will send me a note say, Oh, look, another reason not to watch the Olympics. Look, I completely get it. I I love the competition aspect of it. I I like there's certain things I like to watch, certain things I don't. If you've been around for a while, you know I'm not a huge fan of anything that's judged. That means, you know, in terms of okay, that was a perfect whatever I don't even know what that language is when they're speaking in you know, snowboarding and the jumping up in the air. I I don't even know what language they're speaking. It's a triple 360 back handspring, whatever the hell. Don't really know what that is. Don't particularly like anything that's judged in that way. Give me just your flat-out speed, your height, all of those things. So never a fan of those, never have been a fan of those, whether it's in winter or summer games. Uh, The politics around uh, Olympic Games fascinate me how they're, prepared to look the other way. Like I know, uh, you know, this week it has been all about the uh, 15-year-old Russian figure skater uh, who tested positive for a banned substance. The Olympic Committee treats those who are are minor somewhat differently than they do those who are of legal age, which they probably should. But again, you know, shocking that the, the Russian Olympic Committee or the athletes from the Russian Olympic Committee or whatever they're being called this time, because they're being punished for the last time, they were doing all kinds of doping. It just continues. To me, it's, this is a really simple solution, and it is unfortunate because it would affect some who are not involved in doping. But when you have a situation where, as a country, you're already operating under Olympic restrictions, you're not allowed to carry your flag, they can't play your, your anthem. I believe they play a, a Tchaikovsky piano concerto. If, uh, if ROC members win an actual gold medal. I think that's what they're doing. Uh, but you can't carry your flag. You do not compete under the name of your country because you're already being sanctioned for doping things. Here's my solution. You get a, you get a positive test at the games or a bo- positive test comes up during the games involving your athletes, then all of you are out. You're done. You're gone. Get out. That should be relatively simple, but it's such a such a mess in terms of appeals and questions, and certainly the the, the Russians have worked their way through those loopholes in the past few years, which allows them to continue to compete. And I recognize there's an unfairness there for those athletes that have you know worked for years to get to the games are and and are clean but there's also an unfairness to the other athletes who are competing. And we don't hear nearly as much about positive tests as we used to. Perhaps that means, well, it means one of two things. Either athletes and sporting associations are getting the message that you probably shouldn't inject things in people, which I think is a pretty good message, or they've figured out a way around it. I'm not sure. (laughs) Probably... Probably a 50/50 proposition either way. There's probably more than a few Olympic committees that have figured out a way around it, and there's more than a few Olympic committees who have said, well, you know what, this isn't the way we're going to do things. So I like I really feel bad for those those athletes who do work clean and try to get there and you know, get to the Olympic qualifying standard. And in many cases, the Canadian qualifying standard is higher than the Olympic qualifying standard. And then they go and they go through whatever it is, five kilometers of biathlon. And finish forty fifth. Like I got, I got a ton of time for people who've done that, right? As opposed to, you know, it, it's it, I, I'm ultimately maybe, and maybe Mac Ross a little later on will know what the solution is. Maybe it is you. You run one set of games where anybody can take anything they want. You know, as long as they clearly don't get an advantage. So by that, I would mean. You know, if you can take anything you want and you grow a third arm, you probably can't play on the volleyball team because that would be an advantage. Similar, I suppose, to having three really high-functioning legs might be an advantage if you were involved in figure skating. So maybe you let people take whatever they want and you have those games and then you let the clean games on the other side, but inevitably somebody would try to get around that as well. And it's, it's, it's largely disappointing. So, that, but all that being said... I, and and despite, you know the uh, the sins of the of the Chinese government and they are certainly many. I kind of fi- fall on the side of of the athletes. So, and I fully admit I, I, I like the uh, you know the thrill of victory the whole agony of defeat thing. I I think that's fun and then I look at it and say well maybe at another time I could have done some of those things I could have seen myself as a as a bobsled rider. Like, I can ride in a sled if your only, you know, condition is that I have to be able to run fairly fast at the beginning. I could do that when I was a kid. I could run pretty fast, and then I can jump into the sled. I can can do that. And I am not at all, you know, saying that the people who are doing that particular event are not athletic, because look at the size of them. They're enormous people, incredibly power, former football players, former track stars, all of those people... Get into the whole bobsled game, which, by the way, looks like it's fairly dangerous. And I have, uh, over the past, uh, well, week and a half, right, since the game started, I, uh, I have greatly enjoyed the women's hockey tournament, even though I think there needs to be some work done in increasing the quality levels so that maybe we have more than two teams that are really competitive. And yes, you know, the... The Swiss can hang in there for a while every now now and then. Sweden and Finland on the women's side can have a little bit of an impact, but there are two very distinct tiers in women's hockey at the Olympics, and it would li- I would like to see that tightened up a little bit. It's cool that you already, always know you're going into it, your country's going to win a gold or a silver, but wouldn't I like to see a little bit better competition? I think that I would. And on the men's side, it is kind of refreshing in some ways. I'm I'm torn on that. In in one way I want to see the very best in the world compete. On the other hand, I also like seeing this, which uh it's very difficult to look at that uh men's hockey tournament and say there's a team that's an overwhelming favorite. I would say at this point it looks like the American team cuz they're young and they're fast. But strange things happen, hot goalie, short tournament. We shall we shall see what happens. And it is uh, it is a huge spectacle, but now we get them out of places like that, and maybe now the Olympic Committee, International Olympic Committee, has not been very good at learning lessons in the past because, strangely enough, it always seems to turn toward the money, whatever the lesson might be. But maybe they will learn something from this, you know, in, in time for the next games, Our games coming up in uh, Paris and Cortina d'Ampezzo, I believe and Los Angeles, you know, places that are going to work a little bit better for us. Maybe maybe they'll learn that lesson. My cynicism says they probably won't. Uh, coming up a little later on this afternoon is Tuesday, so we will do our Tech Tuesday. And that's interesting because uh, we've actually had a chat with the people from Dozer in the past. We will have a chat with the people from Dozer again because they continue to go through uh, some funding iterations that are working out very, very nicely for them. Uh, Mac Ross, an assistant professor in kinesiology, will join us from Western University just after our 1.30 news update, and let's talk about replacing Aaron O'Toole. And then, of course, the phone's open for anything you want to talk about all day long. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.
9: Hey! You! Over there! I know about your kind! you like the Independent
11: <laughs> Network News on or <laughs> Channel 9! <Nine. nine. laughs> Where that you go, no matter where you are at, I said you talk about this, and you talk about that, you talk
2: too much. Uh, Olympic Games still underway in Beijing. Uh, Canada, I suppose, we can look at it performing uh, pretty well, but still, of course, what is an Olympic Games without the occasional bit of uh, controversy? which we certainly have these days, and and it it really has been a bit of a a divide. Camilla Velgeva has been cleared to compete at the Winter Olympics. Now, she had already competed at the Winter Olympics. Uh, She is Russian from the team figure skating sport. Um, Now, the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled yesterday in favor of her dismissing a provisional suspension that the 15-year-old would have otherwise faced. Meanwhile... The International Olympic Committee and whoever, whatever other group of bureaucrats is doing this, decides we're not going to hold medal ceremonies because that wouldn't be fair for everybody. Uh, Mac Ross is a professor in kinesiology at uh, Western University and often joins us to talk Olympics. Good afternoon, Mac.
4: How are you
2: doing? I'm all right. I guess there's no surprise that there's some kind of doping issue at the Olympic Games. Uh, no.
1: <laughs> no, but it is, uh, it
14: is very concerning that it's a 15-year-old um, I think it raises a lot of questions about the eligibility criteria for the Olympic games, because, um, you know, we already have enough issues with um, trying to protect children in sports uh, and teenagers in sports. Um, and we have a youth Olympic games. So I'm not sure why it's necessary to have people this young at the Olympics where they can be exploited like this. Like obviously our coaches, and management, um, really, you have to have a hard look at them and and consider whether they should ever be allowed back into sport.
2: You know, it is it is to me, and you know, at least with with a little bit of experience in in high performance sports with kids, and and you know, I, I look at a fifteen year old who's skating for. You know, a figure skating club here in in Waterloo, okay, terrific talent, you're amazing, Mm -hmm. but the physical demands on somebody
14: like this, far different.
15: Yeah, yeah.
14: I mean, she did a quad um, uh, in her first competition, Um, and she, I mean, it's incredible. She is an incredible athlete. I don't want to take anything away from her. because she is being used here and manipulated. And um, I strongly doubt that she can possibly resist um, anybody who's, who's getting her to dope. Um, so it, it, it's really it's sad. Um, it, it, it really shines a light on the flaws within the anti-doping system, um, which is underfunded and uh, hasn't been functioning right for years. And it also raises questions about whether um, you know, the Russian Olympic Committee should be allowed to send any athletes um, to the games right now, or if they should have received a lengthy ban. And I think, at this point, people are pretty, um, pretty decided that there should have been uh, stiffer action after the 2012
15: Olympic Games.
2: Yeah, and and perhaps so. And then, Mac, I even I just mentioned this a few minutes ago. I look at it now and say, look, if you're already under some level of punishment as an Olympic committee, as the Russians are. I, I'm basically down to a one-strike-and-you're-all-out rule. Like, I'm sorry it hurts some people who are innocent, but there's a whole lot more innocent people on the other side.
14: Yeah, I think it would be a, a completely different story if this was somebody who was over 18, was an adult, um, had some ability at least to resist. Uh, but even then, I mean, Russia's an authoritarian regime. Uh, can you really resist a, a government body asking you to dope? I'm not sure you can. Um, there's going to be coercion there for sure, but when it's a 15-year-old, it's obvious that the system uh, had her do this. So, uh, yeah, it seems pretty clear-cut to me.
2: And, and you know, I know we, we, we want to always point at these, these organizations, these countries that, you know, perhaps don't share some of our values, but let's be honest here. We have seen, perhaps not entirely the same, but we have seen a similar rot inside of gymnastics,
14: Sure. And, um, you know, it's it would be, uh, um, you know, hypocritical to, I think, come down too hard, and this will be controversial, to come down too hard on Russia. The problem with Russia is they got caught, um, and uh, got caught in quite an elaborate doping scheme um, several years ago. But, you know, there's been studies of this for, you know, where they had self-reports, of athletes um, at the Pan Arab games and the athletics world championships where, you know, between 25 and 40% of them openly admitted they doped in the last year. Uh, So this is a broader problem beyond Russia. It's easy to to just, you know, shrug it off and say, Oh, Russia always dopes. Well, a lot of other countries do too. Um, They're just better at it. And uh, they didn't get caught in a giant doping scandal after 2012 uh, and, you know, they don't have the heat on them the way that the Russians do. Uh, but there is a serious problem. that has, If we're going to take it to to this level and have the World Anti-Doping Agency and try to have clean athletics um, and clean sports, you know, you have to find a way. It um, to, to, certainly can't be at 40%. That's, that's absurd.
2: Um, it it does take me back to what you said at the very beginning, that we maybe we need some actual rules here because there there aren't a whole lot of rules when it comes to the age of participants in the olympics right
14: No, no there's not um and and this has come up before uh, especially in sports like gymnastics where there's kind of a a body type that coaching staffs look for all over the world and it happens to be often young girls um, who are not adults uh, and are put through these very rigorous training regimes um, and opened up to exploitation, uh, just like what happened the other day um, with the positive test for the Russian athlete. And it, it seems like an easy, an easy fix. You just put in an age, you know, uh, an age limit or an age minimum, I guess it would be, uh, to just make sure children can't can't participate because, you know. We know that there is a lot of corruption in sport. We know the dangers from both Canada and the United States in our own media um, from the gymnastics world of what can happen to young people uh, within sports when you know their coaches are given too much authority uh, and protected in some cases. Um, so why feed into that by letting children participate into the Olympics?
2: Well, and, and we know, Mac, that 6 to 8 to 10 hours a day of training for Let's take a look at this this Russian figure skater. She's 15. You know, she's been training much longer yeah. than that. Those kind of hours for a 12- and
14: 13-year-old we know physically are not good for people. No, I don't think so. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of research out there now that says you should be playing multiple sports if you want, or your kids should be, if you want them to, to develop well and, you know, have fun and all kinds of things. But um, this is kind of a thing of the past in the research when it comes to, you know, forcing kids to to brutally participate in one single sport and master it and go to the Olympics. So that, that stuff's all been kind of dispensed with, uh, but certainly by sports psychologists. So, um, you know, I'm a historian and a sociologist, so uh, I'm not an expert. But uh, it, it does seem like a turning point for the Olympics that, that this can't be permitted to continue and children can't be permitted to uh, enter the games anymore and that raises another issue you know a lot of olympians are talking about the fact that they're not compensated for the olympics um there's a ton of money made a lot of revenue generated and and most of it goes to the ioc well that's a problem if if athletes are considering themselves as laborers and you have children coming in that that's a whole other problem
2: well, and then you and then you have athletes who do benefit from the Olympic Games. Those at the very highest levels, in yep. the highest profiles of sports, I'm thinking of like a Sean White a person like that, yep. benefits yep. tremendously. Yet somebody like this, this 15 year old, doesn't get that 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 kind of benefit. In fact, you can look at the history of of Russian figure skaters in the last few years and say there has been yep. damage done.
14: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's few sports more corrupt than figure skating, um, maybe boxing, but uh, <laughs> it, it's a close race. Any of the, any of the sports that are, um, you know, subjective and judged, it's, uh, it's a tough place to maintain some kind of standards.
2: It struck me over the weekend, though, Mac, that, that I'm old enough to remember, and I don't have to be that much older, but if you go back eight years, pretty much everybody who was competing at that highest level was an adult. And then when, yep. when one team starts to have success with kids, we know the rest of the teams are going in that direction eventually, aren't they?
14: Oh, yeah, for sure they will. Um, and it, it's, it's sad, but uh, it's, uh, like I said, it's an easy fix. It doesn't have to be that way, um, and it's up to the IOC to, to put in some rules that prevent this from happening. And, and ov- obviously the, uh, the uh, International Federation, too. Um, you know, she probably shouldn't have been at the Adult World Championships.
2: Yeah, no matter no matter how good you might be, it's just it's it's just not your time, right? No. No, exactly. I completely agree. Mac, appreciate your time, as always. Okay, take care. All right, that is Mac Ross. He is a uh, kinesiology professor at Western University in London, likes to chat from time to time about the Olympics. That's a little known, well, not a little known, it's out there. There is no specific age limit for taking part in the Olympic Games. You don't have to be 16 years old. You don't have to be 18 years old. You know, there's nothing. Individual sports federations have their own rules. Some of those sports federations have knocked those numbers down to a pretty low area. So think gymnastics, where if you're of my vintage or close to my vintage, you can probably think back, well, more than a few years, because this has been going on, um, but, you know, 17- and 18-year-olds were a bit of an outlier, thinking back to the Olga Korbut's and the Nadia Comaneci's of this world. And then now we fast forward to 2022, and all of a sudden 14-, 15-year-olds, that, that given the force that is placed on a body in, in figure skating, when you're spinning four times in the world in a row, like remarkable athletics, but you're not built for that at 15 and you're not built to have stuff injected into you, Terry. Go ahead.
4: Hey, Brian. Um, yeah, like gymnasts and figure skaters, I think they tend to be of younger age. Even Nadia, Ko- you just mentioned Nadia Comaneci. I think she was like 16 in the '76 Olympics. Was oh, no, not even. I think she was 14. I believe. That, it you wouldn't surprise
2: to, me. I don't remember
4: exactly. Actually... I think she was 14. And then, you, you know, in the figure skaters, you had figures like, I don't know, if Dorothy, Dorothy Hamill was pretty young, too, when she, figured, when she uh, you know, participated. But I agree with what your caller said. I think this should maybe 18 years years of age should be the cutoff and older than that. And, and I think you were mentioning women's hockey. How about this, Brian? Um, well, the U.S. And, and Canada's women's team can play a best three out of five for gold and silver. And then, I don't know how many teams are there. Is it eight, I believe, six or eight? The other teams can just play for bronze, like have a little round robin. Um, that'd probably be more competitive. I don't like, not that I watch the games, but I think looking at the score, 14 to nothing or 14 to one, is not exciting. But uh, you're familiar with that book by Richard Moore, the the dirtiest race in the world, right? Yeah. The one that involved Ben Johnson. Well,
2: Yeah, the 88 Seoul Olympic Games.
4: That's correct. The, the thing that gets me is before that race, Ben Johnson tested negative for steroids at every race because he he set the record just before that that nine point eight three in the eighty seven championships, and he always tested clean. Yep. And and then you get the eighty eight and all of a sudden he tests positive. So I think the the fix was in for poor Ben, and and if you look, if you read that book by Richard Moore, it mentions that every single runner in that race was, did test positive for steroids at some point uh, at a later time. So I think we're just fooling ourselves if we believe that every single athlete in there is isn't on something. Not saying 100%, but I'm sure it's pretty high that they're all on something. And it's not just the Olympics. It's pretty much every sport you see out there. You have to. It's the only way you can compete at a high level. Otherwise, like uh, Charlie Francis said, you might as well put the, the starting blocks you know, up there because it's the only way you're going to win because you're not going to win.
2: Yeah, perhaps, Terry. But I, I, I you know, I, I think probably you and I have to draw a line at injecting 14- and 15-year-olds with things.
4: Yeah, that's where I said it should be at least 18 years old because it is it's always going to be there. As long as the, the stakes are high, people are going to do what they have to. I mean, uh, I remember one time watching football on TV or following football. The, the, the weight difference between the biggest guy in the field and the smallest guy was probably 30, 40 pounds. Now it's like 150 pounds. So uh, are we to believe that? They're, they're all clean, and the game is up on the is on the up and up. No, it's not. Some funk is going on, and but you know what? As long as our eyeballs are are fixated on these athletes participating at these high levels, and I think the IOC, I think they. They're not going to admit that, admit it. But I think they promote that type of thing because to them it's money in their pockets, and and they're not they're just going to play you know the ignorant card. But uh, deep down they know what they're doing, and and they're just going to keep promoting it like in the closet type thing. Right? That's that's my take on it. All right,
2: thanks, Terry. Appreciate the call. Yeah, and and look, the IOC makes a bucket full of money on figure skating because it it happens to be at least for American audiences, which pay the vast majority of uh, television broadcast rights to the IOC. That's where the eyeballs are. It's, uh, figure skating has also been very popular in Canada, of course, where we're a tiny population compared to the United States. And, uh, but figure skating has been an awfully big moneymaker for the IOC over the years. And it's, look, if you're, again, even if you raise that age to 18, you, you still have to wonder, well, what's been going on in places where they're 14, 15, 16? Are they, are they taking things under, are they under pressure to take things, which I think is, is very little doubt about that. Terry mentioned Dorothy Hamill. She was 20 when she skated in the 1976 Olympics. That is a very different world from being 15. Now, I think she made her debut in senior figure skating, misnomer if ever, ever in the United States in 1971. She would have been 15 years old at that point. But you have to remember, that is almost 50 years ago. The sport has changed dramatically. In those last fifty years, the training has changed, the speed has changed, the tricks that are done has changed. Like I'm pretty sure Dorothy Hamill wasn't putting in anywhere near the time that these kids are today. And it's it's maybe as Max says, maybe it is a is a tipping point for the o- o- Olympic Committee. But you know, boatloads full of cash can change one's opinion. Star five seventy five seven zero two five four five one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen. This is Kitchener today on city News five seventy We uh head back to the phone Billy go ahead
11: yeah, I'm calling a second time because we won't have much more time to talk that's days. true <laughs> but in terms in terms of the Olympics, like, you know uh i I, I think uh, I agree with you the the um, the judge sports uh you know there's Uh, that the whole that whole idea of how they get medals is unfortunate but that's how it is with those sports but uh, i i think why don't why not have all those people be as individuals i thought it was sort of funny that that they've even turned uh figure skating into a team sport now at least for the first event uh but in in terms of of like you mentioned before about uh, the women's hockey right so uh it it struck me even when they were walking in uh uh, the Great White North, uh, Icebox Canada, uh, had a team almost the size of the American team. Uh, in terms of team sports, why not uh, understand the reality of it, especially in something like women's hockey? Have have a Canadian team, of course, an American team, uh, make a team up of the European Union, and uh, maybe uh, fulfill uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, dream and have uh, some of the old. Uh, Uh, Soviet uh, states sort of ally with that and make make an all-star team from them and make an all-star team of the East Asians. Get the
2: old Uh, USSR, let's get the USSR band back together, right?
11: Yeah, right, yeah, with, uh, with the exception of the Baltics, you don't want to go back yeah, that's under true. any circumstance and already, but they could, they could, uh, you know, the Latvians and Lithuanians and the Estonians could uh, join with the Europeans. You know,
2: Billy, that's originally off the top, it, it, off top of my head, Billy, originally I thought, well, that, who's going to want to do that? Everybody wants to compete as their country, but then I thought, no, <sighs> having some yeah. success might help grow things, and then eventually you do split off into your Finlands and your Swedens, etc. Well, that,
11: that's true. I mean, I, I, it's, it's funny that... Uh, that Women's hockey just seems to be dominated by these two bohemians of North America. Uh, the funny thing is that uh, it seems that one, one game that uh, all these different countries seem to learn relatively quickly is curling. Yeah, isn't that uh, funny, things? huh? I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we used yeah. to own that sport. Thanks, Billy. We used to own curling. All of a sudden, our curling teams are struggling to make medal rounds. Apparently, everybody thought it was a good idea to curl. Who knew? Zoltan, go ahead.
8: Hey, you know, it would be great if they didn't need drugs, if they could do fantastic things like you and I, you know what I yeah, mean? That's
2: true, that's true.
8: Look, well, I just want to say a little goodbye to you. Sure. I don't call you that often, but maybe sometimes too much. Uh, I just want to point out that you are not universally beloved.
1: Oh, you no, I know extremely,
8: that. You are extremely well-liked by me and so many others. And for your swan song, just in case you might consider going toward your song, swan song, I can't talk either. San Juan, whatever. Uh, maybe might might consider the Mickey Mouse farewell.
2: Oh, that's entirely possible.
6: <laughs>
8: <laughs> right,
2: thank, you.
6: thank you for everything, Brian. You have a good time.
2: I appreciate it. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, uh, f- fully aware, not universally beloved. That can happen. None of us are. right, And, and that, that goes for those of us who are on the radio and those who are not on the radio. Uh, none of us are universally beloved. We all have our moments. You know, where we're we're off on the other side. That's that's what makes us interesting. Good Lord, what a what a world this would be if if we didn't have those those moments of disagreement. We have to we have to be able to have those and we have to be able to walk away from them and still be okay. Maybe that's what's been missing the last couple of years. We haven't been able to walk away from those moments of disagreement and still be okay. It has it's concerned me over the years the amount of at name calling and the if if you know you're not with me, you're against me. All that kind of posturing that I don't because I I don't see things in black and white anymore. I think things are most of the time shades of gray. At the best of times, well, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Nobody's got all the answers, but we can all have all the questions. I think. That seems fair. Uh, just want to go back to the figure skating for a minute. Uh, the uh, Canadian women's champion, who is, uh, who is Madeline Skiesis, uh she is uh, taking part, of course, in Beijing. I did get that name right. Now, she's 19 years old. So that's a big difference. If, if you've had daughters, and I had many, the difference between 15 and 19 is quite dramatic. And so that's where a lot of the concern over this... Uh, I keep wanting to say Soviet, but that's, you know, revealing my age. Uh, The big concern over this Russian skater is she is only 15 years old. So if doping has happened, and it certainly appears to be the case, she is being counseled to do that. Where did that begin? Did that begin when you're 13? Because that seems wrong. And maybe this is enough, you know, for the IOC to be a little bit tougher. Because in my mind, if if I'm running the show... I've had enough because I'm saying, okay, Russian Olympic Committee, which we used to call Russia, but we can't because this is one of the little slaps on the wrist you get when you break the rules. You broke the rules again, get your stuff, go home. Don't come out of your room until you've decided to behave yourselves. But, of course, every one of these cases launches a a wall of dominoes of appeals and it gets watered down, watered down. And by the time you actually get to suspending anyone, it's too late. And then, you know, they're talking about, well, we don't want to be unfair to the athletes by not, by having a medal ceremony. Well, you are being unfair. You're, you're tilting it towards the people who have been accused of things. Not sure that that's the way it's supposed to work. Faster, higher, stronger, corrupter. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Pick a little, talk a
12: little, pick a little, talk a little, cheap, 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 talk a lot, pick a little more, pick. A
2: there's been an awful lot of stuff going on today. It started off, that would have been the probably the biggest story anyways, would be the invocation of the Emergencies Act by the Prime Minister. I know that broke yesterday afternoon at 4.30, but reaction, of course, pouring in this morning and throughout the day, and then you get word that Ottawa's police chief is resigning. Those would be major stories. How Police chiefs don't resign a whole lot in this country. It is not something that we run into very often. They, they retire, but they certainly don't resign in the middle of a crisis very often. Then, of course, you've got the Prince Andrew stuff where he's reached a settlement with his accuser. And then there's another story out there about uh, uh, Charles, Prince Charles, and planning his coronation that will be a much scaled-down event because, well... It's kind of where we are in the monarchy these days. There's an awful lot of stuff going on. So why not talk about more of it? Sam Routley is a PhD student of political science at Western University, joins us this afternoon. Good afternoon, Sam.
11: Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, We've we've been having
2: discussions about, uh, about the Conservative Party and Aaron O'Toole and pushed out the door. And no matter how many times this happens, and I've been around a long time, Sam, it is always the same question. How do you get the factions within the Conservative Party to, if nothing else, shut up for long enough to win an election.
16: Yeah, yeah, I think um, that might be a useful way to put it. I think uh, the, the the dilemma that the party has always faced and 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 continues to face is, is this question of uh, how to operate as a conservative party, um, how to run in elections and, and win government um, in a country that is really ultimately not very conservative um, especially when it comes to uh, more of the urban areas um, that that really in many ways decide canadian elections Uh, and so exactly how do you moderate um, sort of conservative ideological beliefs um, while also you know maintaining a a, a semblance of integrity while also keeping um, the sort of party base happy is, is a real challenge
2: the goal of course for any party is to win and you know we've had this 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 arm wrestle for years over the socially conservative side is is it not just simple enough to say look we're we're going to stay out of the social conservative business but we're going to sit over here on the right and talk about you know less spending more responsibility etc there you go it, this seems simple to me
16: i well i think uh the more, uh, social, uh, conservative side that, that you mentioned, I think, um, they take it, they, they take it much more seriously. They think it's a, um, important part of, of, of something the government, uh, ought to be pursuing, um, and something, a set of values the government ought to, uh, project, um, which, which really motivates in many ways, um, their own political involvement, uh, their own standing in the party, um, and, Unless the Conservative Party wants to totally disavow them, uh, they really need to make some sort of compromise or uh, agreement of that kind.
2: Um, We are hearing much more talk, I think, Sam, in this country about populism and, and the Conservative Party taking a populist route. If you look purely at the definition of populism, that doesn't seem like a bad thing.
16: Well, I mean, I think it really depends on uh, your perspective, uh, your own political stances. Uh, I think this relates to a set of, of broader um, political processes uh, that we've seen in the U.S. predominantly, but to some extent in, in France and Brazil and U.K., um, where conservative politics broadly are starting to go in this a populist direction um driven by long-term cultural economic factors uh and I think right now in Canada there seems to be through the current expression um of the of the convoy and and resentment anger uh, grievances against covid policies you're seeing it potentially come to fruition here um and potentially um take over the the conservative party
2: is is there a path forward for the Conservative Party where we, we go back to that discussion of the big blue tent? Because no one seems to be able to hold the tent together.
16: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really been uh, the, the question. I think it's important to mention that this is really something the Conservative Party has been struggling with for, at least since the Second World War. Um, for most of its history, uh, there's always been this, uh, more of an ideological wing uh, compared to more of a moderate wing, um, and exactly how to fuse those two factions together in a way that, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't leave either side uh, uh, speaking out against each other or in a way that can win elections um, has always been a dilemma. And really, um, there's really only been one person who, who, for whatever reason, has been able to, that delicate uh, arrangement, and, and that's Stephen Harper. Uh, and really, the choice of the leader, uh, whether that's Ben Shearer or, or Aaron O'Toole or um, Polly potentially or whoever that leader is going to be, is really who can pull off that, that sort of negotiating work, that, moderate, that moderating uh, role um, that Harper managed to, for some reason or another, some mystery, uh, managed to do.
2: Well and and what's interesting about that Sam is that those moments where the conservatives actually do manage to pull their tent together and get elected seem to coincide almost exactly at the same time as liberal governments seem to have worn out their welcome for a few years.
4: Yeah. Uh
16: there I mean there is this um there is this idea uh you know that if, if you want to consider the liberals uh the natural governing party that they've managed to attach themselves to the Canadian political center. Um, where most Canadians are, at least um, in Ontario, uh, they really are more prone to um, voting uh, for the Liberals as their first choice. And it's really only when there's this anti-Liberal sentiment that's grown um, as that party's been in power for a long time that that they then go to the Conservatives. And the real struggle for the Conservatives is trying to build some sort of more Positive support that isn't just comprised of this anti-liberalism.
2: I, I wonder if the events of the past couple of weeks, Sam, have maybe emboldened that that more socially conservative side of the of the conservative party to say, "Look, this is this is what we can achieve here. These are the people that we can bring in."
16: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think what you're seeing the sort of populist um, wave that you're seeing. Um, you know through the people's party uh through the um Ottawa convoy and other similar demonstrations i think i think that's a, this is something if not entirely new at least noticeably, noticeably different um in what it contributes to this already um tense conservative dynamic um and in many ways there at odds with 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 the sort of social conservative wing that's that's been uh, fighting against the more centrist party establishment for a while.
2: Well, and it is interesting because, as you mentioned, we've had the had the PBC, PPC, which has grown to whatever extent it has. We have this this wing of the conservative party now, and you know, the idea of populism is to appeal to those people who feel that they've been kind of ignored. And I'm thinking, well if governments are concerned about a rise of that, they don't have anybody to blame but themselves, really.
16: Yeah, I mean, the the liberals certainly uh, uh, have a problem there. I think the fact that uh, the government's current uh, response is to invoke the the Emergency Act uh, and to um, effectively condemn it uh, is really not doing them much favors there. Um, But I think... Um, the Conservative Party, at least the more ideological wing um, can can sort of convey themselves as this anti establishment force and 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 fight against the the sort of elites uh, which which in this formulation are synonymous with with the liberals uh, very similar um, very similar to to what you saw with the sort of trump takeover. Um, of the Republican Party, that, that even though the party was very much uh, the establishment, you saw this internal pushback.
2: There, There is probably some sense in taking some time before the Conservative Party goes too far into the leadership, right? And so maybe, maybe things are a little bit too fresh right now, maybe wait a year?
16: I mean, I, it, it's very uh, difficult to um, predict... Uh, where things are going to go but i think i think what is what seems clear to me at least is that although although the the covid restrictions and and sort of associated policies are really what's driving these movements on the surface i think they're really linked to these broader more systemic economic and cultural issues this much deeper sense of alienation or displacement um, which has produced this a uh, real sense of of anger of discontent of of resentment and uh, it it has to be expressed somewhere right that it, it can't just simply be disavowed. i don't think it's i don't think it's really going to go away on its so own
2: Sam thanks for your time today Yeah thanks for having me Sam Routley is a PhD student at Western University writing in the uh, conversation about the potential replacement of Aaron O'Toole as conservative leader while well, the headline it says very simply, replacing Erno O'Toole exposes the conservative party's ever deepening divides. Are they? I'm not sure they're deepening, but I think they are. They are much more apparent, and maybe that means the same thing than they were just a short while ago. And and what is the path forward? Is there a well? Call it a populist, although that a populist tag kind of gets a bad rap from time to time. It really is about. You know, people who feel that they're not being listened to, well, I think there's a whole lot of people who feel that they're not being listened to, and and, and maybe we see this rise, you know, whenever you've got a government that's in, been in for a longer time, like we have right now. Um, at the end of the day, again, the Conservatives will go with the route, which they think will provide them the best chance to win. And that could very well be a different leader at this point, assuming that the current prime minister continues to carry the standard into the next election then it might be if there's a change in leadership at the top of the liberal party i believe there will be a change in leadership at the top of the liberal party i i don't have a whole lot of int- i i can't imagine why anybody wants to spend 10 12 years in that powder keg of a job cuz it's boy oh boy things are bad enough before social media now it's just you just you just get constantly punched Bob, go ahead.
6: Hey, Brian. Go ahead, Bob. The Conservative Party doesn't know what it is. They can't go any too far to the right because we're not the United States. We don't put up with that. And so they're going to have to get a guy who's a little more in the center. And frankly, he won't he won't have a chance to rule to lead the party.
2: Yeah, uh, you might. Well, Bob, that has certainly been the uh, <laughs> that has certainly been the point in the past. The people who could win the leadership couldn't win the election. The people who could win the election couldn't win the leadership. That's been kind of the issue for the conservative party, but maybe a, a lifelong split is worth it. The reality is that no matter no matter where you place yourself as a party across the political spectrum, there's another party there that's going to move. It's, it is, as much as I hate sports analogies, it's kind of that deal where the offense moves here and then the defense moves that way to try to counter what you're doing. It's not like we have staked out a position and we're going to stay there forever. You're going to move so that you can take advantage of whatever the feelings of voters and others are out there, and those change in time too, right? When you initially elect a PM and then six, maybe seven, maybe eight years later, you do get to that point and say, I've had enough of that. We would prefer to move on, and that's when... Conservative parties in the past have been able to win and to be successful because they can paper over their differences long enough because they realize, wait a minute, if we do this, I actually might be able to win the vote here. And that leaves another group of people who feel they're left out. Maybe those who are further right on the spectrum than the Conservative Party feels it has to be in order to be victorious. Those people feel left out and that's where you get the People's Party. So is it is the idea to bring those two wings together? I'm not sure that that's entirely possible. Star 570 5715 This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.
16: The Conservative Party, at least the more ideological wing, can sort of convey themselves as this anti-establishment force and fight against the sort of Elites, which which in this formulation are synonymous with with the liberals, very similar to, to what you saw with the sort of, Trump takeover of the Republican Party. That even though the party was very much the establishment, you saw this internal pushback.
2: Sam Routley, a PhD student at Western University in London, writing in the conversation about what uh, what happens in the months, maybe maybe longer time. I had, personally, if I were the Conservative Party, I would have somebody in place by the summertime so that you have a chance for people, voters, to get to know. Like, it's relatively, we tend to think, oh, look, you know, everybody's going to know who that is because they're the new leader of the party. Well, that is not the case because people tend to tune out from it until it's almost election time and then you know virtually nothing about that person. So who it will be, don't know, could be somebody really, really interesting and will it be somebody who decides to take the party on a slightly more mid-path? That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be, as some would accuse them, of liberal light. I don't I don't even know entirely what that path looks like. Do you get out of the whole social conservative thing? Let's move away from there, leave that to other groups. It will be interesting to find out, and it'll be interesting to find out who they actually Run against. I know Pierre Polyev is considered to be, I think, at this point a favorite, but that just might be he's the most vocal one and the first one out of the gate. It is, again, that that great quandary that faces the Conservative Party is, you know, the people who can be elected leader can't win the election. People who can win the election can't be elected leader. And then knowing that the other side's coming after you with everything they've possibly got, We'll see. The growth, I, and, and there has been a growth, I think, in populism in this country. And I did mention before that I think politicians are largely to blame for it. I think that's true. Uh, other people will quote and say, yes, plus, you know, MSM, et cetera. That's That's one thing I'm really not going to miss, to be honest, um, because I, I can only have responsibility for myself. That's it. And you you reach out, you talk to a variety of different people, and, like, I find all points of view can be interesting. We've had we've had views on this show from the right, from the left, and and people complain about it. Unfortunately, in, in this world today, that even though, as Mr. Springsteen says, 57 channels and nothing on, we got way more than, than 57 channels now. Forget about just television, but think about everything else, every other source that you've got out there. And I think we have become... You know, a nation of short attention spans where we can't be bothered to read anything really beyond the headlight or the headline. And we kind of live in these echo chambers where, oh, look, I agree with that. I like that a lot. And that's the way artificial intelligence works, right? As it goes along, picks up all those things. Hey, you like to look at that. I'm just another one of those fabulous examples. Last night, my wife and I decided to order a pizza. So we made the phone call. Right, made the order on the pizza. Actually, we did it online. That's fine. And as she was scrolling through social media later, up came the ad for that particular pizza place. That's those are the echo chambers that we live in these days. Now, never that never used to be the case. Uh, it is Tuesday, of course. So I'm uh, I'm almost forty percent of the way through the farewell tour. Over the next couple of days, I just I just want to tell you uh, some of the people who will be on. Uh, my favorite pastor will be with us, uh, Mike Zenker from Hope Fellowship if you remember back to our days with the Trinity Bible Chapel of a couple of years ago those were those were some fun days weren't they and uh, mike would also would often join us after those discussions and and give us a slightly different perspective as i've pointed out numerous times not a religious guy don't know what's beyond assuming at some point i'll find out but i have I have absolutely no issue with people having their own beliefs. In fact, to some degree, I can have a certain amount of jealousy for people who have that belief because that has never, uh, was never instilled in me as a child and has never been something I particularly felt that I needed to be drawn to as an adult. And then we had a couple of other issues regardless. Fine. But I always like to, I like to hear the perspectives of people on that. And and Mike was, was always a great guest. Because he wasn't threatening to throw thunderbolts at me or anything like that, so we'll have. I want to have a a chat with Mike about uh, about kind of religion in the wake of COVID. Perhaps it doesn't even go to religion as much as it goes to spirituality. Probably something that's, you know, way too philosophical for an afternoon radio talk show. But hey, what the heck? Might as well go out that way. This is Kitchener today on City News Five Seventy. Oh, good, the sun came out because we've got another weather thing coming our way, which just it says it's a wintry mix. Yay, that sounds so cute. It's crap, that's what it is. It's rain and snow and freezing rain and all kinds of stuff that's coming. It's on our way, and it's winds. Please hunker down, get some chips, and you'll be fine. Uh, but thankfully, we have sun today so that our solar-powered tech spotlight can shine on people like Kevin Forstel, who is the CEO of Dozer. Good afternoon, Kevin. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Uh, Dozer, you can uh, you can rent like great big heavy equipment. Uh, does that means I can get a front end loader to play with. What does this company do?
15: <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. Um, so we're uh, an online aggregator for heavy equipment rentals. Um, our partners are um, professional rental houses, and our customers are uh, you know generally uh, contractors that are looking for. Uh, they're searching for equipment and, uh, um, you know, using us as that one-stop uh, source of truth for pricing and availability. And th-
2: this is a cheaper, more efficient alternative than than buying the equipment yourself, right? You're basically just renting equipment when it's available.
15: It, so, yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh, uh, there's a huge trend uh towards rentals uh and you know we're we're making that easier it's uh you know I, I come from the contracting space and uh, uh, a lot of learnings there as well and, and definitely the entire industry is really moving quickly towards uh renting equipment and and what's driving that movement kevin uh so that's a great question i mean i think uh there's movement towards renting online which is really important for dozer but there's uh, there's also just you know the general movement towards rental i think that the equipment has become uh, a lot more heavy expensive and specialized and you know that general movement uh, is is to be able to get the the best machine for a job, uh, you know, so that it'll perform, you know, as efficiently as absolutely possible, but also safe and, you know, fit on the job site properly. Uh, so that would be sort of the move to rental. Uh, and, you know, the there's also uh, some other pieces here that some uh, uh, market dynamics that are pushing people uh, online, uh, as well as, you know, just to rental in general. And, and really, it's, it's uh, it's difficult to purchase a mach- machine right now. Uh, there's a, a bit of a backlog. It might take, uh, could take a year to purchase an excavator. Uh, so, you know, there's an increased demand uh, at play. There's, uh, you know, some supply constraints. Uh, and uh, generally, the, the market is just already moving towards rental. So, uh, great spot to, uh, uh, to be and, and also really happy to be making these connections and making rental just a little bit easier. So the, uh, the the last two years of this pandemic,
2: Kevin, how has that been for business?
15: Uh, so it, you know, when it first happened, we we weren't sure what was going to happen. Uh, a lot of our businesses uh, in the southern states, uh, you know, we saw in uh, Central Florida, you know, a lot of uh, um, equipment returned when uh, you know the the theme parks closed down, um, but. You know that quickly uh, turned around, and you know a lot of people started doing renovations when they were at home. Uh, construction in general just really started to skyrocket, and uh, you know we were we were here to help. And you know the, the utilization rates for equipment are are high right now, uh, so there, it's uh, it's driving even more need for uh, a platform like Dozer.
2: Now I know that uh, that you have raised some money that's going to help you expand your footprint in the United States, and we have a. Healthy construction industry here in Canada, but it—how uh, much does it mean to get into the states and really
15: have an impact? Uh, it, it's uh, it's super meaningful for us. So we, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, the majority of our business was in, in Canada, and as the, uh, you know, over the last two years. Um, by far the majority of our business is actually coming out of the southern states. Uh and you, there's just a tremendous opportunity down uh down there. Um and you know, still working up here in, in Canada, uh lots of opportunity here as well. But uh the 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 money that's been raised will be all used for growth uh and expanding um at, with a focus on, on on the United States. What what are the, the
2: challenges looking ahead, Kevin?
15: Uh, I think the the biggest challenge is going to be um, just all, all all things to do with uh, scaling. Um, you know, we're 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 hiring pretty aggressively. We have about uh, sixty five uh, team members now, and we're looking to double over the course of the next uh, eleven months. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely a challenge in front of us to uh, you know get out there, recruit, uh, onboard, train. Uh, uh, new team members, so uh, probably uh, hiring hiring will be the biggest uh, the biggest challenge. Uh, although network is deep, and you know, uh, I'm already finding some really uh, you know great team members to join uh, just in the first few weeks since the race. Yeah, and
2: what kind of people you're looking for,
15: Kevin? Uh, everything from uh, you know software engineers uh, uh, through to uh, finance, sales, uh, marketing. Um, personally, I, I'm, I'm looking for uh, for an EA, but uh, you know, really, it's all roles within the company. Uh, the the majority of those roles are in uh, in engineering.
2: And, and it's interesting though that there's there's a change in so many tech companies that I've talked to over the past three or four years, Kevin, where they 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 reach a point. You go through the development phase. And then you reach a point where you go, you know what, some sales and finance people would really be handy here. <laughs> and, but I think most people from the outside looking at the tech industry don't see it that way.
15: Uh, that, that's interesting. I think we, uh, we probably took the opposite approach um, you know, earlier on. Uh, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a non-technical founder, come from the, the construction and landscaping industry, and uh, it kind of came in with a sales and marketing approach. And started with a very light uh, MVP, and over the past few years, we've been building uh, a world-class uh, engineering team, and, uh, you know, they, they've, they've caught us up to speed and, you know, are starting to push us uh, um, well ahead, um, uh, which is great, but uh, definitely a healthy respect for, uh, you know, meeting both engineering and sales and marketing. And, and what
2: does it mean to be here in this area, Kevin?
15: Oh, man, it, it means uh, so much to us. Um, you know, again, I, I kind of mentioned the non-technical founder thing. When we decided to uh, make this decision to build uh, build out Dozer and, um, you know, ultimately leave and sell our, our landscaping business, uh, the first thing we did was we joined uh, Communitech uh, and, you know, wanted to, you know, just get in with the sort of the tech community uh, and, uh, you know, Meet some people and network. From there, uh, we got into the Rev, uh, uh, the Rev Accelerator Program. Um, continued building our network. Ended up meeting our CTO, um, a deal uh, through that 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 program. Uh, got into the Lazarus Scale Up Program. Uh, it's just a unbelievable uh, community, very, very supportive uh, in, in helping us uh, I think grow and get to this point. Uh, and then, you know, a huge amount of uh, talent uh, and, and really the whole reason that our, uh, our office is uh, in Kitchener is to be close to Communitech and close to the university, to um, you know, find uh, this great talent and stay close to everyone.
2: Um, as I look at your website and I see there's like a mini excavator and an excavator, or I just have to ask you this question. Are those things as much fun to drive as I think they are? <laughs>
15: uh, yeah, they definitely are, yeah, and they're 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 easier to operate than uh, than they may look.
2: <laughs> you know, you don't want to tell me that, Kevin. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for your time today. I Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Kevin Forstel is the uh, chief executive officer of Dozer. They've been around in town for a while. Uh, the operation, the operating idea, is relatively simple. Look, there are. Are pieces of equipment sitting over there doing nothing? You can rent them now. I, th- I think it'd be fun to have a mini excavator to run around in. I have no idea what I'd do with it, but it does sound like fun. And uh, I, I'm actually very thankful to all of the uh, companies over the past three or four years who've come on to the Tuesday Tech Spotlight. Uh, sometimes at the very last minute, but that's always turned okay. And you'll learn about all the interesting companies that are in the region, and then you also learn that, yeah, sure, software engineers, really good to have, guys who, girls who can write code, that would be interesting, but you need sales and you need marketing and you need administration, you need all of those things that make the rest of the business run. So you shouldn't be afraid if you don't have that tech background of going into that tech sector because there's probably something out there for you. Uh, Back to wrap up and look ahead, this is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Really, uh, I, I need to thank a couple of people who have uh, who they're going out of their way to be on this week, which is really nice. So Peter Bolston and Julie Kuczynski, uh both willing to come on, and really, in Peter's case, coming on and talk about nothing because I had no I had no particular plan. Let's just come on and talk, see what we bump into, and go from there. There'll be a few other moments like that as uh, as the rest of the week goes by, almost to our T minus three moment. Grant, go ahead. Hi,
13: Brian. Uh, I am maybe jumping the gun here, but I know there's going to be a big lineup when it comes to all your listeners in the next three days. So I want to get my uh, tin bit in. Uh, <laughs> have my say. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, whatever your endeavors are going forward, uh, I have a wish for you. Okay. And that is that your wife and family always stand behind you. Uh, and, uh, we're about the same age, and, uh, I know your grandfather, so always, uh, as long as your family believe in you and stand behind you, uh, things will go all well for all that, uh, love you. Family comes first, and you've got a huge amount of listeners around the country, uh, in the world but having said that uh my biggest wish is that all your wealth going forward comes in your wealth is in health for you your wife and all of your family thanks grant appreciate that call and
2: uh i i i've i've for years and years and years long before i got here i spoke about my family i spoke about my kids and I generally tried to tell those stories that, so that I would end up being the idiot because that's the right way to do it. I don't want to throw them under the bus. What was interesting the last couple of days, though, because the girls will jump in and, and they will repost things that I post or make their own comments. And I know for both of uh, for two of my girls yesterday, they posted and they had friends come on and say, I had no idea he was your dad. So <laughs> seriously, you didn't know that? for? A long, I think there were years... Uh, probably back when they were teenagers, which was at the height of another uh, radio station in time in town, that they uh, that they hid who I was because they didn't want to be known as you know Brian Burke's kid. I I think that they were teenagers. They, that was just kind of natural. Later on, they took a little different view of it. Kyle, go ahead.
10: You know, nobody's going to give me my ketchup advice anymore, right?
2: Oh, I'll, always, I'll give you a private email address. Oh, I'm always willing to give you catch-up
10: advice, not a problem. I don't believe in goodbyes. I always believe in that, that you know, we will meet again, my friend. But uh, I'm not saying it back yet. But, you know, there's still, what, four days left until the show? Three right?
2: days Three days left. We've only got three, three
10: days, days. But anyways, Sorry. I want to go back to the Tech Tuesday thing there. Sure. Uh, those little mini, what are we saying, those little mini skipsters and stuff? They're yeah. honestly fun. I mean, I'm not going to, I know your wife is probably listening, but Brian, go out and rent one for the day and just have fun.
2: It's just like, like, what do I do with it? Like just drive around?
10: yeah just drive around like that's what i would do That's out, so go up and down the street you know like i don't know like it's, they're just they're just honestly they're fun to drive like i remember my first landscaping job we rented one just a big uh postal holes right every so often oh right. right they're, they're driving ones right and oh my gosh i was like can i just do this all day he's like no i don't pay you and I, I he's like i am wasting my money on you if i paid you to just sit around and do that all day come on
2: <laughs> so, that's, that's like I, a, I know
10: right it's like a dream anyways, job it would
2: be, anyways. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, nice, Kyle. Appreciate the call. <laughs> I think it'd be fun,
6: Bob. Hey, Brian. You're back. I'm sorry, to, sorry to hear you leaving, but I hope you enjoy what you're going to be doing.
2: Well, I, I, I am. It's uh, you know what. I'm always happy doing something. I have no interest in retiring or walking away. There's so many interesting things to do out there, and uh, you know what? We'll we'll land at least close to our feet, if nothing else.
6: I always enjoy listening to you. I, sometimes I like pushing your buttons. That's okay. I,
2: I'm. I'm uh, look, I. We we got you to admit that you'd voted conservative. That's still. It's a very proud moment. It's up on our wall of fame here.
6: <laughs> well, it'd be, I think it's going to be well before I do that again.
2: Oh come on.
6: <laughs> well, like I said, I hope you enjoy yourself and best of luck, here.
2: All right, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. I, I I'm not being well. I am. I I am being um, particularly non-transparent when it comes to. Where I'm going, and there are there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, not because look, I'm not not going. One thing I want to make clear: not going to another radio station. Okay, that we that horse is is back in the barn. It can stay there for a while until someone else. I'll never say never to anything. The right thing came along. I'd probably jump at it. But that is over there, so we're leaving that over there, and we're going over there. And I'd rather not. I'd rather not bring them into the conversation at this point. Let's just put it that way, and uh, and and that's the the easiest way to deal with it at this point. As, as, and it's very similar in some ways to to me trying not to drag anybody else on this show into the same conversation because they don't they don't deserve that, I, and I don't want them to be judged in that way. So that's that's just trying to be a little bit fair. I'm I've said it before. I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to do a farewell, farewell tour because most people in this business don't get that opportunity. Mark, go ahead.
15: Good afternoon, Brian. Brian, I was talking to my mom today. She listens to you all the time. She's 88. And she said to me, 570 has just lost their best talk show host oh, ever. My I, mom said that to me.
8: I
2: appreciate that, Mark, and I and appreciate you. One, one
5: more mind. thing, Brian, coming for me. Rogers dropped the ball big time. They're the losers.
2: I, 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 we're we're not going to do that. See, I'm trying trying to avoid that. <laughs> As I've said, and I'm maintaining this level because it's the right thing to do. Right? I can't I can't uh, chastise you for name calling and then allow you to do that. I I, I get it. I understand the frustration, et cetera. I shared some of the same frustration, maybe some of the same emotion. All those things may have happened. We simply could not come to an agreement that was. Obviously, something that I was comfortable with, and again, something that they were not comfortable with. I could, I could go into more detail, but I won't. Just say we had a disagreement over value, and at a certain point, you have to kind of go, all right, that's it. So I, I appreciate it. I do. I, I appreciate those feelings, uh, and, and it's nice to hear them. It's one of the reasons why, selfishly, I wanted to do a bit of a farewell tour, so I get all those things, but mostly what I wanted to do over the space of this week was talk to some people who I really found interesting over the last three and a half, four years, because the rest of my life in radio for a long time was wrapped up in, in 15 second sound bites with people as opposed to 10, 15, sometimes I've pushed the envelope here with some 20 minute interviews, but those I always found really, really fascinating so I, I wanted to kind of to wrap up the week with that. And then you get, you know, you get kind of introspective and you want to mention some of the people you worked with. If you follow me on Facebook, you can see the postings that I put on there over the past day or so. And I am, you know, reminiscing to some degree about, you know, a long list of really talented people that I had the chance to work with and in some cases had the chance to hire. And those people are continuing to work in morning radio in this town at different stations. Like, I'm proud of those people, and uh, so that's, that's well, we don't, have to, we don't have to be mean to each other, whether each other is a person or a corporation. Samantha, go ahead.
12: Hey, Brian, I'm, I don't know if you remember me. I used to intern with you.
2: Not, not, not Sam Idol. Where's my coffee? Oh, Where the hell's my coffee?
12: <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, I just wanted to wish you best of luck. Thank you for all you've done for me and my career. You're the best.
2: Ah, thank you. Where are you now, anyways?
12: Uh, I'm at Rogers. I'm working uh, in Toronto.
2: Oh, okay, good. Television. Well, I, I I will come by and see you when I'm in Toronto, Sam. I'd love that. Nobody got coffee better than you.
1: Oh, thank you. That was one a terrible,
2: terrible way to treat people as interns, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> hey,
3: it was the best experience. It got me into the industry. I'm very thankful. All
2: right, thanks, Sam. I appreciate the call. I really do. There's another one. Sam Idol used to, used to work with us years ago. We didn't send her all the time for coffee. We did send her for coffee. But we asked her to do a whole lot of other things too, and I'm so glad that she landed on her feet. Les, go ahead.
5: Hi, uh, Brian. Uh, couldn't uh, Rogers take some money out of Fort Wells' <laughs> <laughs> I
2: I am not I am not privy to those conversations, Les. Let's <laughs> just leave it there.
5: All the best to you, Brian.
2: <laughs> All right, thanks, Les. I appreciate I appreciate the yeah. call. That is, I, I'm I'm going to have a hard time getting over that. It's so nice to hear from uh, from somebody like Sam, who was oh, we had. A long stretch of time where we didn't have a whole lot of interns, and uh, but then we had the opportunity to get one, and she really, really, really wanted to get into this business, which a lot of people do, and it doesn't always work out as well as you would like. But just an absolutely, uh, just an absolutely terrific young lady, and uh, so glad that she's uh, that she's doing well in in the big smoke in Toronto. I never could get a job there. John, go ahead.
5: Brian, I'm just tuning in. What's happening? Where well, are you going?
2: When? Well, uh, I am not going to another radio station, John. This is my last week. Uh, Friday afternoon. Fingers crossed. At three o'clock is when I'll finish. This is the farewell tour, and uh, quite simply, a disagreement over my value. So we'll, we'll leave it I'm there. Sorry
15: to hear that. So yeah. see you
2: go. Ah, that's all right. I'll find something. I'll find something else to do, and you'll love somebody new, John. Fair
5: enough. <laughs> all, right, well, all the best.
2: <laughs> Thanks, John. Appreciate the call.
13: Bob. Go hey, going to miss you, young fella. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you got that right. Uh, it's going to be hard to replace you. You know, you're kind of well spoken and well, you know, well read and you know when to hit that red button <laughs> to cut somebody off and you Just kind of keep everything and soothing and going along, and you know you want to let loose and when not to.
2: Soothing—I've never been described as soothing. Oh yeah, you know I
13: got that dark, deep voice. You know that can soothe people to, oh, this is so nice. Finally, instead of that whiny little. Oh, my wife hates my Now, dream. now, oh, now. We'll have none of that. She won't let me put t- the radio on when he's on. But, but said, Come on, honey. Look, this is the only thing I have all day is between 9 and 3. She said, nope, not, when I'm home, that's off till noon hour.
2: But she loves this sound, right? Yes, she does. Yes, yeah, right.
13: <laughs> Take <laughs> care, brother. That's right. Thanks, Bye. Bob. <laughs>
2: Appreciate the call. Well, this should be fun. You see, this is the thing. I was telling Brittany this just earlier today. Uh, people listen with half an ear, quarter ear. They don't hear everything. So... Um, it's the basis of, uh, of radio advertising, repetition and frequency. So we kind of do that during the whole week, and I will prove to you that radio actually works. Back tomorrow from noon till 3. This is Kitchener today on City News 570.
5: He's bound down put it up and truck it. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go, and a short time to get there. My found bounder, watch old bandit run Old Smokey's got them ears on He's hot on your trail And he ain't gonna rest till you're in jail So you got to dodge him, you've got to duck him you got to keep that diesel truckin' Just put that hammer down and give it hell He's found it down, Put it up and truck it Are we gonna do what they say can't be done We've got a long way it's short time to get there I'm Eastbound, watch our bandit run